The geographical background of the books of the Old Testament is a bleak and desert land that looks much like this. The struggle over control of that land under the constant direction of Israel's God is a history of a brave but sometimes recalcitrant people. And within that history are stories that all of us, Jewish or not, have come to know and love. One of the most incredible stories comes from the book of Judges and tells about a preternaturally strong Hebrew leader named Samson. Samson is chosen before birth as one set aside by God to do special things for the people of Judah. As you can imagine and probably know, artists, poets, writers, and musicians have been inspired by the story of Samson for centuries. In fact, the book of Judges has generated more than a few operatic settings. But surely the best-loved and best-known biblical opera is that by the composer whose work we'll be dealing with today. Composed in 1876, the same year as Wagner's Ring, it took the opera some time to be embraced by the public, but from the time of a Paris production at the Garnier in 1892 until today, it's considered one of the finest examples of late 19th century French Romanticism. The composer, Camille Saint-Saëns. The opera, Samson and Delilah. I'm Nick Ravellis, and this is Opera Talk. spent time in this program talking about other French romantic operas, operas like The Pearl Fishers and Carmen, both by Georges Bizet, and Faust by Charles Gounod. The point that I always like to make about French opera during this period is that there were a number of opera theaters in Paris, each specializing in their own operatic niche. And it was into this stimulating atmosphere of music and theater that Camille Sassons was born in Paris, 1835. Sassons was one of those precocious youngsters who showed musical promise practically from the womb. He took piano lessons from his great-aunt, and at a very early age, it was clear from the outset that he was going to be a virtuoso. He was accepted into the Paris Conservatoire in 1848 at the age of 13, and two years later he was accepted into the composition class of Fromental à Lévy. Unfortunately, Sasson's success as a virtuoso pianist and organist so eclipsed his initial compositional talent that people weren't quite ready to accept him as a composer. For example, Sasson's is the only French composer of any renown who never won the Prix de Rome, the French national prize in musical composition. After his graduation from the conservatory, he immediately went to work as an organist at the Church of Saint-Marie, and after four years there, he went to the great church of the Madeleine, where he remained as organist for 20 years. During that time, he wrote music of every sort, from symphonies and concertos to songs and various types of chamber music. It wasn't until he was nearly 30 years old that he was offered an opera libretto by Leon Carvalho, the director of the Teatro Lyrique, and he began to feel his way into the Paris opera world. That commission from Carvalho turned out to be Sasson's first opera, Le Timbre d'Argent, although because of the Lyrique's bankruptcy and the Franco-Prussian War, the production was delayed by 12 years. He had a lot of encouragement towards opera, certainly from his early mentor, Alevi, but also from Pauline Viardot, the superstar mezzo-soprano of the day, and his older contemporary, fellow composer Charles Gounod. 
During his opera writing career from 1877 to 1910, a new spirit entered the opera world alongside the works of the venerable Wagner and Verdi, and that was the new ultra-realistic or verismo style proposed by Italian composers like Leon Cavallo, Mascagni, and Puccini. Sassos reacted against this spirit and continued to write operas in a traditional French style, featuring elegant melodic lines, transparent orchestrations, and the perfect setting of French text. It was Samson and Delilah that gave Sassos his greatest success and for which opera lovers remember him today. Sassons began composing Samson in 1867, but it wasn't intended to be an opera at all. Remember, he was the organist at the Church of the Madeleine, and so much of his time was taken up with the creation of liturgical and sacred music. His original intention was to create an oratorio for chorus and orchestra, a work that's written either for the church or for the concert hall that tells a biblical story, but without the conventions of staging. In the writing of such a work, emphasis is always more on the importance of the chorus than on the contributions of individual soloists. Let's take Handel's Messiah, for instance. Although there are some wonderful solo arias and duets for individual voices, the glory of the score can be found in its choruses. This is true of Handel's many other oratorios, of course, as well as pieces by Mendelssohn like Elijah, Brahms' German Requiem, or Walton's Belshazzar's Feast. Sassons was well on his way to writing his Samson oratorio when he happened to meet the young poet Ferdinand Lemaire, a native of Martinique, a Creole, and a relative of Sassons by marriage to one of his cousins. The composer later wrote, A young relative of mine had married a charming young man who wrote verse on the side. I realized that he was gifted and had in fact a real talent. I asked him to work with me on an oratorio on a biblical subject. An oratorio, he said, no, let's make it an opera. And he began to dig through the Bible while I outlined the plan of the work, even sketching scenes and leaving him only the versification to do. Now, probably because she's the most interesting character in the story, Sassons began by writing Delilah's scene in Act Two. The spark of inspiration must have been strong indeed, considering that this is still the best-known music from the score. Sassons decided to present the Delilah scene at a musical evening for trusted friends. The performance, unfortunately, didn't seem to impress anyone in attendance, and in fact his colleagues warned him of the uphill battle necessary to mount a biblically-themed work for the stage. So Sassons put the work away. But on a concert tour of Weimar, he renewed an old friendship with Franz Liszt, always a great supporter of new music, who showed interest in Samson to the point of promising a production at his Weimar Opera House. With this encouragement, Sassons finally felt confident enough to start again with work on the score. He eventually finished it in 1876. As promised, Liszt personally arranged for a production of the opera at Weimar in 1877 under the baton of Edward Lassen, who was to replace Liszt as the music director there. A second German production, Hamburg, followed in 1882, and the work finally reached home territory at Rouen in 1890. 
The Paris Opéra mounted Samson in 1892 with a sumptuous production at the Palais Garnier. With that, Samson achieved a repertory status throughout the world as a perfect example of mid-19th century French romanticism. Although Samson and Delilah is absolutely French in its atmosphere, melodic contour, and instrumentation, it often harks back to the oratorio world of composers like Bach, Handel, and Mendelssohn. These older models were pieces of music that Sassons would have been familiar with through his extensive work in church music. Musicologists and opera lovers have been involved in the oratorio versus opera argument since Samson's first public performances. The extensive choral scenes certainly move listeners in the direction of deciding that it's an oratorio disguised as an opera, but then you have the character of Delilah. Her presence alone moves this work to the serious lyrical form which we call opera. She's three-dimensional, a character of depth whose motivations are much more psychological than that of an oratorio-bound biblical character. She's truly the stuff of romantic French opera, right up there with Carmen, Manon, and Thais. The story of the opera, Samson and Delilah, follows the biblical story rather closely. We're in Gaza, Palestine, where the Hebrews gather around their leader, Samson, under the shadow of the Temple of Dagon, built by their oppressors, the Philistines. They complain that they've been abandoned by God, but Samson tries to rally their faith. The governor of Gaza, Abimelech, insults the Hebrews for their belief and then attacks Samson, but the hero disarms Abimelech and then slays him with his own sword. When the high priest of Dagon sees the dead governor, he curses the Hebrews, but other of the Philistines are so dumbstruck by Samson's strength that they're ready to give back the land that they're occupying. Meanwhile, Delilah appears with some of the other Philistine women, greeting the arrival of spring. Seeing Samson, she invites him to visit her, just as an old Hebrew warns him to steer clear of this seductive and foreign woman. At night, back in her dwelling in the Valley of Sorek, she has a duet with the high priest in which she reveals that she'll somehow get Samson to reveal to her the source of his great strength. She vows to avenge her people so that Samson can be destroyed. When Samson arrives, she begins to seduce him while all the while he tries to break off with her. She taunts him. If he truly loves her, he will share with her the source of his amazing strength. Finally, he gives in telling her that it is in his long hair, at which point she calls to Philistine soldiers waiting for her signal, and he's taken captive. Blinded by the Philistines and with his hair cut short, the hero Samson is forced to take the place of an ox and is forced to grind wheat while chained to a millstone. He prays for God's mercy, but the nearby Hebrews have nothing but disdain for him. At dawn the next morning, the Philistines celebrate their deliverance from Samson and dance a frenzied bacchanal. Samson is led to the temple of Dagon by a child, and the Philistines mock his weakness and try to force him to kneel before their false god. Samson has the child lead him to a place between two supporting pillars where he prays to God for a return of his strength. There. During the Philistines' hymn to Dagon, Samson brings down the temple and destroys himself, Delilah, 
and all the enemies of his people. Let's explore the source of the libretto of Samson and Delilah. Of course, the source is the Old Testament of the Bible, and who better to have with us to explore that source than Dr. Joseph Colombo, a professor of theology from the Department of Theology and Religious Studies at University of San Diego. Joe, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Good to let's, be here. let's start large. Let's talk about the Book of Judges, which is where we find the story of Samson, and the story of Samson and Delilah specifically. So what about the Book of Judges? Oh, the Book of Judges uh, essentially precedes all the stories with a formula. The children of Israel abandon their God. He delivers them to oppressors. They call out for deliverance. God raises up a judge, a champion for them. The champion delivers them, and then the cycle starts all over again. So besides Samson, there are other Heroes or other judges in, in the book? There are numerous um, um, judges in the book. And the Samson cycle is a small a saga that takes up three chapters of the book. Okay. So Samson is who, then? What, what, what is Samson all, all about, personally? Well, three things distinguish Samson in the book of Judges. First, his birth is extraordinary, almost miraculous. We're told that his mother is barren, much like uh, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, or uh, Sarah. Or Sarah, the, the mother of uh, Isaac, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and an angel of the Lord comes and announces she shall conceive. So that's the first thing that's extraordinary. Now, there's a name for these people. Uh, Nazarites, is that right? It's not Nazarene, but Nazarite? Correct. Okay. Um, the word Nazir in, in Hebrew means consecrated. And the angel tells uh, Samson's mother that this child she shall bear is consecrated to the Lord in her womb. Uh, and from that we get that he is a Nazarite. Now, Nazarites have three distinct vows. They are to avoid intoxicants like wine. They are to scrupulously avoid contact with corpses. And they are not to cut their hair. Uh, the th One of those is pretty easy. One of those is pretty easy. <laughs> but cutting hair and... Uh, what was the other one? Not getting intoxicated. This, this could be a problem. This could be a problem for Samson because Samson, thirdly, is the most improbable person to be a judge of the people of Israel. He likes to make frequent trips to the wine country. He has a thing for Philistine women. Um, his parents want him to marry a good Jewish girl. He insists on a Philistine woman. He is boastful. He is headstrong. He is, frankly, impious. Um, and not gives a darn about any of his vows as a Nazarite. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, is his undoing. Um, he's going to the wine country, no doubt imbibing. He comes in contact with the corpse of a lion that he's killed and actually eats the food out of the carcass of the lion, the honey. So this is not a very nice man. So there's a point here. There's a, what is the theological, the larger point uh, of, of Samson? Well, the larger point is fairly evident. Even if the vessel, uh, the mortal vessel, is going to be completely uncooperative with the Lord, the Lord shall accomplish his will nonetheless. And hence, he takes this flawed character, Samson, and uses him as the vehicle to deliver his people. Now, Samson, like Hercules and many other myths, of almost superheroes, um, has these labors, like the labors of Hercules. He, he destroys what is it, hundreds or thousands of Philistines with the jaw of an ass, 
what else? Um, Oh, I mean, he sets their grain fields on fire. Uh, he then, after killing 1,000, eventually kills 3,000 more. Um, he is caught in the house of a prostitute in Gaza and s- pulls the gates off the city and carries them away. Um, so he's extraordinary physically. Yes. But, but flawed. Morally, religiously. Okay. Now, now let's get down to the nub, and that is the relationship between Samson and Delilah. Delilah is a Philistine woman. Correct. Uh, and she's working for the other side yes. and seducing him, trying to seduce him to find out what is the source of his strength. But there's an interesting difference between the story of Samson and Delilah in the Book of Judges uh, as opposed to the libretto. And what is that? Well, in the libretto, as uh, um, uh, Delilah seduces the information out of Samson. But in chapter 16, verse 16 of the book of Judges, we get a very different picture. She vexes him, she wheedles him, she nags him, <laughs> as the text says, unto death, <laughs> until finally she give, he gives in and tells her the secret, which he's denied to her already three times. You would, Samson's also not very bright, because this is the second time he has told the secret to a Philistine woman who has betrayed him. So you'd think he would have learned, but he hasn't. <laughs> I guess he, might, he makes a better operatic character, perhaps. He <laughs> um, he's very sanitized in the libretto, um, and he comes out as a pious chap, as distinct from the uh, biblical texts. Interesting. Thanks so much, Joe, for being with us. It was my pleasure. <laughs> The classic conversation about Sanson's opera has been whether Samson is an opera or an oratorio. Well, let's put that conversation to bed once and for all. It's been accepted and performed as an opera for over 130 years, so it's an opera. But this opera does indeed have passages, many passages, that would be right at home in a church or a concert setting on stage, like an oratorio. Most of those passages involve the chorus, and many of them are in the first moments of the opera. Let's take a look at some of them. First of all, there's no question that Samson is a chorus opera. There are three acts, and although Act 2 has nothing for the chorus to do, Act 1 is filled with music for the chorus of the Hebrews, and Act 3 is driven by the chorus of the Philistines during their bacchanal before the Temple of Dagon. Now, we know that the composer, as a working church musician and organist, was very familiar with church music and oratorio style, the same style that all of his Baroque forebears, composers like Bach, Handel, and Mendelssohn, practiced. Oratorios like the Bach Passions, Handel's Messiah, Mendelssohn's Elijah, or St. Paul were done in whole or in part on a regular basis in churches throughout Europe, and Sasson's Church of the Madeleine in Paris was no exception. But the compositional style that strikes me when I hear certain moments of Samson and Delilah is that of Johann Sebastian Bach. I even hear Bach in the opening of one of Sasson's purely instrumental works, the Piano Concerto in G minor. Listen to the opening of this work, a kind of prelude for the piano alone before the orchestra makes its first appearance.
Doesn't that sound like Bach through a 19th century filter? Something similar happens at the beginning of the opera Samson and Delilah. There's a lengthy orchestral prelude with a constant ostinato feel to it, a constant rhythm, and a feeling that the music is not just getting louder, but thicker in texture as the bars pulse by. This is a typical Bach technique. We hear it at the beginning of the St. John Passion and many other pieces by Bach. And in both the Passion and in Samson, these orchestral introductions lead up to the entrance of the chorus, singing sustained lines above that pulsating uh, ostinato accompaniment. dead giveaway that Saint-Saëns is hearkening back to an earlier musical style comes when the opera breaks into a fugue, the ultimate musical symbol of Bach's Baroque style. The fugue by this point in music history, that is, Saint-Saëns' lifetime, was considered an old-fashioned form used only in conservatories and schools of music to teach students 18th century comp counterpoint, compositional style, if you will. It was certainly not a musical form that was used in opera. Here's one of the great exceptions to that rule when the composer uses it as a way to express the Hebrews' frustration that their God seems to have abandoned them. examples of how Samson is like an oratorio, how is it more like a conventional 19th century French opera? 
in many ways, certainly through the use of the dance. And there's no better example than an excerpt from the Bacchanal in Act Three. But it's the character of Delilah that makes this real opera, separating it completely from the world of church music or oratorio, despite the biblical theme. How more operatic can we get than this big, broad tune that we have in her Act Two aria, Mon Coeur S'ouvre à ta voix? recordings of Samson and Delilah that I know you'll want to seek out just to become a bit more familiar with the work. Let me point some of them out to you. First of all, there's this wonderful EMI recording with Placido Domingo in the role of Samson and Waltraut Meyer as Delilah with Myung-Hung Chung conducting the orchestra and chorus of the Opera Bastille. This is a brilliant recording with Domingo in absolutely stunning voice and Meyer creating an exciting foil as Delilah. Newly released is this mid-priced Operadoro recording with the heroic John Vickers as Samson and Oralia Dominguez, a Mexican mezzo-soprano who should have had a bigger career as she did, singing Delilah. Jean Fournet conducts the Netherlands Radio Orchestra in a live broadcast from Amsterdam in 1964. There's also a wonderful recording on EMI with Jose Cura and Olga Borodina under the baton of Sir Colin Davis conducting the London Symphony Orchestra and Chorus, and you should really look for that as well. Here is another EMI Classics recording, again with John Vickers, but this time the wonderful mezzo-soprano Rita Gore in the role of Delilah. But what have we got on video? I don't think we need to go any further than this DVD from the Metropolitan Opera with, again, Domingo as Samson, Olga Borodina as Delilah, and James Levine conducting. Although it's not a newer widescreen production, the picture and sound are wonderful, the production values of the Met staging are outstanding. The Bacchanal is particularly noteworthy with the Met Ballet giving their all. All of these resources are available online at Tower or Amazon, and will be quite helpful in giving you a leg up when preparing to see this opera in the theater. Enjoy. Samson and Delilah isn't performed that often these days, 
probably because opera companies don't quite know what to do with it. It is, in fact, a kind of hybrid piece somewhere between oratorio and opera, and it takes some clever stage direction to bring it to life. But once you've solved that problem, there's the music. Lyrical, elegant, gorgeous music as only a French composer could have written. I hope you have the opportunity to see it. I'm Nick Ravellis, and I'll see you at the opera.